Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast. We're so excited to be going into this new half of season. We're all ramped up and ready to go, and we're just happy to have you all along for the ride. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome back, nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch Podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name's Brittany, and I am joined by my two friends and co-hosts. I'm Matt. And I'm CJ. How are we uh, doing this week, folks? I am well. Just got back to school, so... Um, it's pretty crazy that winter break flew by. Um, I say that because we released this in a week and I'll be back at school then. So pretty crazy that winter break flew by, but I'm ready to get back into this stuff. Um, I'm very excited to see where this semester goes. I got some fun things planned that I will be able to um, maybe tune you all into as it progresses, but it's just a cool time. It's just a very cool time. Yeah, I'm not I'm not up to too much either, you know, just just really starting off this new year with a with a fun trip that I had. Uh last weekend you may have saw on our social media, I was visiting our good friend and co-host Brittany Busletta Lewandowski. Uh and right now as of recording, I'm actually recording this in her basement because <laughs> I'm still here when we record this, uh which was a week ago. <laughs> Which brings me into how my week's been going. Um, having my, my best friend over and getting to, we went birding, um, as we saw on our social media last week. I now also am a proud owner of lots of different bird feeders. And Adam and I have just been enjoying drinking our coffee in the morning, watching for birds. Oh, a few weeks ago, we saw a barred owl in our tree that you can see from my kitchen window, which was really exciting. And we're just enjoying seeing all of the different birds. Wow, that's so incredible. I love that for you. Love that for you. Well, I'm glad everybody is having a good couple of weeks and I'm, I'm happy that, you know, Matt, that you're gearing back up to go to school and CJ was a pleasure having you at my house. Um, it's a pleasure but... to be here currently, and it was last week. <laughs> but uh, we're going to head on over to our first segment, the Creature Feature. So this week's Creature Feature is... Uh, a pretty small boy, but it's a small boy who really cares about the environment. Do you guys have any non-spoilery teasers for our creature feature this week? I mean, personally, I've actually worked with this creature before, and I will this semester. And the only thing I worry about when I, you know, work with it with other people is, you know, some, you know, some people don't like it. You know, you hear some boos, you hear some hisses, and it's just kind of a, you wish better upon the species. I'll say that much. Very good. Very good. I've also worked with this species. I think Brittany's worked with this species too. I, I currently work with this species and I think they're pretty neat. I think that they, 
you know, have a really big role for environments, but they're also just superstars. They're 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 Hollywood, if you will. They're, they they definitely could be described that way. They could also be described as absolute cockroaches because that's what they are. Uh, we're talking about the Madagascar hissing cockroach today. Um, and the Madagascar hissing cockroach is a really, really awesome species because they are the garbage men of the rainforest. Now, just like garbage men, Madagascar hissing cockroaches will take the garbage off the forest floor and take it to a recycling center or for the Madagascar hissing cockroach, their belly, and turn it into compost for the rest of the forest to thrive. So just like today we're talking about conservation for consumers, the Madagascar hissing cockroaches, they consume pretty much everything that's decomposing in order to continue to conserve the rainforest they live in. Madagascar's rainforests are crazy diverse. It's the only place on the planet where lemurs are found. And a lot of that wildlife is only found in Madagascar. In fact, most of it's only found in Madagascar. So Madagascar hissing cockroach plays a giant role in providing clean soil for that ecosystem and making sure all the nasty stuff off the ground gets out of there. So just like we're going to talk about later in the episode, um, there are definitely easier ways to uh, get cleaner things. Let's just leave it at that. I don't want to spoil too much, but you can get some cool stuff by reusing it, question mark? Oh, thank you for sharing that Madagascar hissing cockroaches, you know, with everybody. I think that they're definitely misunderstood because here, especially here in the States, there is like no one wants a roach in their house. It's just awful. But being able to understand that especially Madagascar hissing cockroaches hold such a vital role because they eat. They're like the cleanup crew. They, they reuse and basically recycle all of like this. I was going to say reduce, reuse, recycle, baby. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And it's, it's just like a key, just a key component. And so I think it's, I'm glad that we were able to share it and share it with all of our nature lovers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Glad we could share with the Madagascar hissing cockroaches. But with our creature feature out of the way, let's jump into our next segment, current events. Alrighty, everybody. Very excited to be here with your regularly scheduled current event. I don't know if you get it, but you're about to because this current event is about an aquarium. So uh, this one hits close to home um, for all three of us uh, being the Shed Aquarium. Uh, we worked at a place that was pretty regularly affiliated with them. They ended up on the same sphere a lot. Um, we all love Chicago and it's very, very. Are you allowed to say that? I didn't say anything. Said nothing. <laughs> Zero things were said. You know what? Fair enough. I'm not even cutting this out. We partnered with them on something. In fact, if you'll remember when we, uh, the Teen Conservation Leadership Conference, that was a collab as well. Personally love the Shed as an organization, which is why it's so exciting that the headline that I got an email about from the Tribune titled Shed announces 500 million project to reimagine aquarium and expand reach is so so exciting 
uh, to me. This was written by Cheryl DeVore on January 10th. So it's really, really recent. Um, and it's set to correlate with their um, centennial project is what it's called. And it's an eight-year, $500 million project that essentially is revamping the whole entire aquarium and trying to make it as community engagement-y as possible. Now, one thing that I think a lot of people notice is that like, unlike zoos, aquariums usually tend to have a slightly harder job in the traditional sense of aquarium of engaging people with animals. This is usually because I would say I've noticed that a lot of people when they come upon a tank or something like that, which is really common in an aquarium, it's just less engaging, if that makes sense, just by sheer um, value of, you know, underwater. And I think people are used to fish tanks. They see them in the back of their houses sometimes. It's a pretty common thing. So seeing an aquarium, especially one that's so local, so close to home, um, with a huge emphasis on creating community engagement is a really awesome thing. The article starts out referring to the archer fish and how a lot of the shed's current architecture and its current exhibiting is you got your name of the species and the species. And so this is really the way they describe it is committing to, in their quotes, the empathy gap between humans and nature. And that is one of the underpinnings of our biodiversity crisis. This whole entire project is really highly predicated upon connecting people with wildlife and nature, which is something that we're super passionate about. You know, it's really talking about using conservation, education, especially in fascination. In fact, they'll be adding a new education floor uh, to the aquarium. They're planning on revamping part of their um, first floor amenities and it's got all these crazy ideas that I don't want to spoil. I'll, we'll have the link in the blog post. And it's really dedicated to connecting the community to not only aquariums and not only the species in there, but the Great Lakes, right? Right outside, it's like literally Lake Michigan butts up to the sidewalk of the Shed Aquarium. So this is a really, really exciting thing to see that'll be popping up on the Chicago skyline. There are pictures of this. And part of the most important part is that they have a really good commitment to uh, local community work being implemented using this uh, construction as this goes through. So they have certain quotas that they're going to hit to people in both underserved local communities, but also just people in the Chicago region in general. They're really putting an emphasis on connecting the community, not only to the Shed Aquarium, but also to aquarium-style conservation. And I think this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's incredible. The mock-ups that they have so far are ridiculously cool. And the improvements that will be made in this aquarium are really astounding. This is a perfect, perfect plan. And I'm very excited to see where this goes if it's continued, uh, if it continues on its so far planned path of opening in 2026. Very exciting stuff. We're really lucky to have these kinds of institutions in our own backyard. And I'm very, very excited to see how this goes. Yeah, the Shed is an institution that is just like worldwide renowned in terms of their conservation, like status and ability to get stuff done. So seeing this new like action plan for them is really, really amazing. 
Yeah, I'm really excited. I saw it um, just when I was like scrolling on Facebook and was so stoked. And I'm really excited to see all of the changes and, and the stages that it happens in. And I will definitely be coming back from Missouri just to get to keep seeing it in real life. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, we're excited to see what happens. Um, but I think now that uh, our creature feature has been featured and we've got, we're up to date on all of the current events, we can head over to our main topic of today. So today, like CJ had mentioned earlier, we're talking about conservation consumerism and what the heck do we mean by that? What it, what are we talking about? So conservation consumerism, also known as green consumerism, is refers to a state in which consumers demand products and services that have undergone an eco-friendly production process or one that involves recycling or safeguarding the planet's resources. And so that can look like a lot of different things. Um, and the three of us are going to talk about our favorite ways and that we participate in green consumerism and how we're conservation consumers and how we do that. But it can look different for everybody and y'all can support different companies. But going back to green consumerism being that products and services have undergone some type of eco-friendly production process or safeguard some type of resources. Um, I'll list a couple that I know that we're not talking about um, later on, but that could be anything from reusable straws so you're not using plastic straws that end up back in our oceans and killing our sea turtles or, I don't know, reusing re reusable shampoo bottles and things like that. Um, but we're going to all kind of talk about our favorites. So who would like to kick us off? If you don't mind, I would actually love to kick us off, if that's okay. Brittany, is that okay? Mm, yeah. Are you sure? Let me let me think about it. Please say the word okay. Okay. Great. So I'm going to start us off by talking about something that is pretty ingrained into what I think about, especially when I go to like a grocery store. A, a concept that I feel like was ingrained to all of us as pretty young kids was the idea of responsibly sourced palm oil or the entire idea of palm oil consumption. Palm oil, it is um, basically like a like a kernel from a tree and it's in pretty much everything. It's in toothpaste, it's in candy, it's in Nutella, it's in car products, it's in makeup, it's in like everything you see, everything you eat, everything you touch. Um, and that's not really true. Like, it's not literally in all those things, but it's in a lot of stuff. And a majority of where palm oil comes from is from islands in Indonesia, like Borneo or Sumatra. We've talked a lot about palm oil before on the podcast. You can refer back to an episode we did last season with uh, Veronica Seawall, where she came on and talked to us a lot about it. But palm oil consumption is really, really dangerous because those plantations on Borneo, on Sumatra, what is happening is they are tearing down the natural rainforest that exists there, harming all those species, and putting up these big palm oil kernel plantations. And it's really dangerous for species in that area, from clotted leopards to 
cassowaries that live up in Papua New Guinea, and orangutans. So orangutans have kind of become the face of that conservation issue. And there have been some organizations that have used orangutans as the face of the palm oil issue. For example, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo actually has a really great app called Palm Oil, and you can download it, and basically you can scan barcodes to see if, one, the product that you're going to buy at the store has palm oil in it, and two, if it does have palm oil, because like I said, it's in a lot of stuff, if that palm oil is responsibly sourced. We've talked a lot about other things in the podcast. I know Matt's going to get to something in just a little bit, talking about responsibly sourced uh, items, but responsibly sourced palm oil is really, really important because it doesn't actually harm the animals living in that environment. It doesn't take down any more rainforests. So it's really exciting when we can have, you know, the things we want to eat, like Nutella, for example. I freaking love Nutella. So having been able to have that and have some responsible source palm oil so we could have that and not hurt orangutans. Yeah, I love that app. I actually downloaded it after um, Veronica was on and I learned about it through through that episode of the Brady Bunch, because um, we're all about educating and fascinating people here. Not don't forget that conservation. I was gonna say, don't forget conservation. Can't forget conservation. It's what it's all about. Um, but I actually downloaded it after she came on and was talking about it, and I use it really regularly, and it makes me have like a clear conscience, uh, like as I'm buying things, because like you said, it's in pretty much like everything. Um, so it's good to know. Um, and I love it. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, so I'm going to actually jump on this uh, sustainable kind of sourcing train. And I want to talk about um, really there is like a, a fair trade organization, if you will. But it's really more just a mindset in creating products and various goods, you know, whether it's food or artwork or like crafts and stuff like that. Like it really is a broad reaching thing. And like I said, that's called fair trade. Now, the notion and the concept of fair trade is really like, it's really like a two-pronged benefit towards the world, right? Now, there's a lot of economic disparity that exists in the world today. And with that comes a lot of taking advantage of people who will take maybe the lowest barrel jobs possible because it's better than nothing. And a lot of times poachers are vilified for when we talk about poaching of animals. And this is a huge problem, but it's not a problem, I think, in the sense that a lot of us think about. Poaching, um, usually as an entity, comes from really, really, really rich people who pay people on the ground, whether it's in Africa or any country whatsoever. We've even had poachers in North America and such. And basically, it's people who don't make any money who are being paid really unfair but still good money for what these people are used to to go out and do these dangerous hunts and poach these animals poachers are i would say i don't have a statistic so i'm not even going to throw one out there but majoritarily there are people who are being taken advantage of and most of them don't really want to do what they're doing so fair trade as an entity kind of seeks to fix that and a lot of other things because what fair trade is is you know, sustainably sourced goods or items or products. Or, For example, I have a piece of artwork. It is a African painted dog sculpture made from a wire snare that uh, was found on an African painted dog. And so what happens is 
fair trade organizations or just groups of people come in and they give people jobs that are sustainable jobs. They are equitable jobs. They are better paying jobs. They are safer jobs. They are better jobs in every sense of the word compared to, say, poaching or something like that. And then not only are you getting the economic and the socioeconomical benefit from that, you're also getting the environmental benefit because you give a poacher a better job, a better paying job, a safer job, a job that they actually want to do. Not only are they in a safer condition, they're also not poaching, which is a huge thing that is taken advantage of in the world. And so fair trade works for a lot of things that it's fixing a lot of the problems we have today. Uh, one of them, for example, is, like I said, that wire snare. Another one is Tagua nut. Tagua nut is something that I always love to talk about. It's basically a replacement for ivory. It's a nut that when you carve away from the shell, you get to that inner part, and it's very, very contingent to ivory. And so what happens is that people are flooding the markets now with this ivory replacement, if you will. People are getting jobs to carve and to harvest and to grow all this stuff. And at the same time, poachers are being taken out of poaching ivory and elephants and all that and putting it into something else, which again, I do want to stress is 99% of the time, not their fault that they're in that situation in the first place. But by giving alternatives that are better and more equitable, we can really fix a lot a lot of problems that are surrounding these communities, the environmental systems, all those sorts of things. You have fair trade with coffee and all sorts of business practices that normally are known for exploitation. But when you see a fair trade stamp on it, you know that people are getting good wages, they're in safer conditions, and the environmental impact is much more minimal. So fair trade is something that I actually love talking about. I love to talk about it longer. It's a full episode topic in its own right, but it's one that I couldn't end up overlooking for this episode. I was going to say that exact same thing, Matt, that this definitely could be an entire episode talking about fair trade and even just like the practices of that, how it impacts people. There's some really awesome stories that can be told through the lens of fair trade. So thanks for bringing that up. That's fantastic. Yeah, I definitely think that's something that we should all kind of talk about to revisit and make a whole episode because I think that'd be really very, very interesting and fascinating topic of conversation. But for my first thing, I'm going to kind of skirt away from apps and different things like that to more of an actual product, um, like a tangible, I guess, product. Um, and that is actually, it's beeswax wraps. Um, and there are um, a bunch of different companies that make them, um, and they kind of all call themselves something different, obviously, because they're different companies. But the products are really cool. So it's something that I actually use in replace of saran wrap. So it is basically literally just saran wrap, but made out of beeswax. And the this specific company... I found that is it's a it's a smaller shop than some of the others, um, but it's called Nature Bee, and um, they have a will have like a couple of extra ingredients. Um, this one specifically, it's beeswax and tree resin, and it's all grown 
locally for there. But I use it to wrap my sandwiches and I use it to uh, cover bowls and it's reusable. It's washable. Um, I use them all of the time and they, co they come in like all different types of cute designs. And it's one way that I try to um, switch what I would normally use from what I would consider like being a wasteful product and really thinking about um, reusing things and um, having a more eco-friendly twist on a great product because Saran Wrap is really handy. Everybody uses it, um, but being able to have an option to kind of to, to switch it out with. So it's something that I recommend everybody use. I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, I don't know have have either one of you guys used it before? Personally, no, but that's mainly because I don't really use that in general. So it's not like I'm I just don't use rap to begin with. I don't think I used a ton of it in college either. Now that I'm old and married and have <laughs> I've become that little old lady that has decrepit like, and yes <laughs> falling apart everything in plastic wrap or beeswax wrap. And... beeswax wrap yeah exactly <laughs> my couch beeswax wrap <laughs> <laughs> no I, I hadn't heard of it before you recommended it but being the uh, second oldest person on this podcast I'm probably gonna buy it <laughs> being I... Yeah. I like it too because like you can get different sizes. So like I have one that's like really big that fits over like my larger bowls. I have one that's super small that fits over some of my smaller bowls. And like they're pretty leak proof. Like I had a really like juicy sandwich in one and not a single drop of anything got all over my bag. Why? What's it the look? For those juicy. of you listening. Don't say juicy. Oh. <laughs> I had a really moist sandwich. Is that better? Just on the on the sweatpants back of my sandwich, it says juicy <laughs> on it. <laughs> Matt looks so disgusted. <laughs> also, also, let me just say this. If there's any beeswax company that wants to sponsor us, you can reach out to us at the pretty much podcast at gmail.com. Please send us an email. We won't uh, say uh, your your brand is juicy, or we will. Whatever you want. Please be warned. <laughs> apparently, we have juicy sandwiches, but their products are well equipped for it, so it's fine. Someone else go now. <laughs> All right. So in this next one, um, I decided to choose one like kind of concept, and then one specific like company, organization, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, and as a birder, mine is birdcollective.com. Bird Collective is a really, really cool apparel organization that's all bird related all the time. They got some really cool products. They do a lot of collaborations with different organizations. And I think it's really cool just to have an organ, like a group that like makes stuff catered to a lot more special interest stuff. Obviously, I'm sure it does well. Actually, I know it does well because I know people rave about Bird Collective. But when you cater to those special interest groups, you, you, you make a lot of money. And when you make a lot of money as an organization that has really ethical interests, you also have a lot of money that you 
can use for good. Um, Bird Collective has a lot of campaigns that they have donated to. It's really, really awesome. They've donated to the the Yurok Condor Restoration Program. That was actually something that we discussed earlier is Condor Restoration. We, they donated to the Hawk Watch, the Alabama Audubon, the American Bird Conservancy, New York City Audubon, the Grassland Bird Trust, the Finch Research Network, the Binocular Fund, so many different organizations that deserve money and deserve help are getting it from Bird Collective. And I think it's really cool that as a consumer, you can buy from somewhere that then puts money into what your interests are. And I think that's really the coolest thing about just this kind of ability to purchase uh, different goods from when we have such cool organizations like Bird Collective. I think personally, some of my favorite collections, uh, the Finch Research Network. I have a bias towards finches for some reason. I don't know why, but Pine Grosbeak and Evening Grosbeak are some of my favorite birds of all time. I think they're gorgeous. Um, I think the Alabama Audubon was really, really cool, especially in the wake of um, all that's been going on. Alabama has particularly been such a strong Audubon chapter. They've done so much. Alabama in general has become a birding hub. Um, And I think just in general, like it's really cool to be able to say that, like I said, something that you purchase from can donate to something that you care about so far i've known about them for i think maybe a year and a half two years and they've donated to about over forty six thousand dollars to bird conservation as well as advocacy groups which i think is really really important and they do a really really good job at working on advocacy as well um so this is something that i really like their merchandise is really really sick um and like i said it goes to a good place so birdcollective.com Love y'all. Would love just to chat with y'all. I love y'all. I I have purchased a couple of things from birdcollective.com, but I wish that I could purchase the entire collection. Yeah. Because everything is just like so well designed and all of the things that I've received are just like such amazing quality. Like we aren't sponsored by the Bird Collective, though I would love to be. Mm-hmm. If you would like to sponsor us. Yeah, yeah, please seriously. reach out please reach to Liberty Witch Podcast at gmail.com. I would also <laughs> just like to add we actually have a good friend who has done a collaboration with Do Bird we? Collective, Freya McGregor with Bird of Ability. Of course. How could and, I forget? And yeah, they were repping Bird Ability stuff. And you made good mention of it, but that's the thing I love most is the quality. It's genuinely good. It's not hokey. But yeah, they did stuff for Black Birders Week, for Black AF and STEM in particular, as well as Birdability. And Freya McGregor, I remember, really raved over her experience with them. So it's very, very, very cool. Before we like, before I move on to my next one, Matt, I just have a question for you. What this this sweater that you're wearing is really, really cool. Where'd you get it? I actually got this sweater at Goodwill. It's the greatest find. It's my favorite sweater. It's a great sweater. It's a great sweater. Best part is it's cozy. First thing I want to say, if you want to see Matt's sweater, you can visit our Patreon. <laughs> uh, if you subscribe to a 5 or 10 tier Patreon, you can actually see the video of this and Matt waving to you with his really cool sweater. Um, but if you don't want to do that, that's okay too. Where you can find cool sweaters is at Goodwill or any other thrift store. Thrift stores are a really great way 
to reuse things. We talked about the cockroaches before doing recycling. You could reduce the things that you buy or you could reuse things. The best thing that you can do for the environment is use something that you already have, or in this case, use something that somebody else already had. Those clothes, those items, those things that you can find at thrift stores, they're still really good. They're still good quality. Just somebody didn't want that shirt anymore, or somebody didn't want that sweater, or somebody didn't want those candle holders, or forks and knives, or a dinner set, or anything. I bought like a side table at Goodwill because it's like good stuff still. You can get good stuff in thrift stores. I think they have this really bad rep, but like it's actually super environmentally friendly. It's really, really amazing to go into these thrift stores. It's one, see the cool things that they have. Two, talk to the really cool community members there. And three, get something freaking rad. Matt, what's the best thing you ever got at a thrift store? Actually, so I'm not going to lie. This sweater, this sweater is really, really up there. Um, however, I have some great glassware from thrift stores you know, glasses, and I love collecting pint glasses, so that's actually really a big one. Um, really good clothes, and my favorite sport coat um, was actually from a Goodwill, because I love tweed, and at Goodwill, there's so much tweed. Brittany, what about you? Um, I've gotten... I think one of my favorite finds I've gotten at a Goodwill has been um, a suitcase. It was like in really good shape. And that thing traveled with me to multiple different countries. Um, and it held up really, really well. Um, there was also, it wasn't a Goodwill, but it was a little like mom and pop thrift shop in high school that I used to go to all the time and buy just random clothes and things like that. And that was probably one of my favorite things because there was always new stuff and you could like spend, I would spend hours in there and like just rack through, comb through all of the racks and things like that. So thrifting is, oh, it's really fun. Yeah, there's amazing places to thrift all over the country, all over the globe. I remember I actually thrifted, I was in Australia and one of my shirts was like ruined. Like, I don't know what happened to it in the washer, but it just got like ruined and I couldn't wear it anymore. So I actually thrifted a new shirt while I was in Australia because I was traveling and had no money and thrift stores are one really cheap and two really good. So one of my shirts that I wear pretty often is a thrifted shirt from a, from a store in Australia that some random person had before I did. And it really makes me feel connected to this place that I spent some time. And that's what thrift stores can do. They can connect us to history. They can connect us to our community, and I think they're a really great spot to do some unintentional conservation consumerism. My next way that I like to uh, try to be a green consumer is actually with what I support. So it's not necessarily not necessarily buying things, um, but uh, the way I like to donate my money, and that is actually donating to. Um, my local zoos and aquariums. So for me, um, with St. Louis Zoo being right here, I go there a lot and it's actually a free zoo. Um, and so I don't pay any admission to go in, but every single time they have special events and different things like that, I always try to donate some type of money, whether um, like, for example, over 
over the holiday season, they have their winter lights, which you do have to pay for, um, which I was super happy to because that all that money goes directly back into conservation and into the zoo. But also, there's so many other ways of doing it. I also bought a couple of years ago for Adam's birthday, I bought him a behind the scenes tour of their penguins encounters. Again, all of that money just gets donated right back, gets put right in back into the zoos and right into those animals and the, the care and conservation initiatives. Um, and they're fun. They're fun things to go do with with the family. Zoos, zoos and aquariums are always a good time. And we were talking earlier today about the Shed Aquarium and, and their new renovations and things like that. A, a lot of that couldn't be possible without our, our continued support of those places, their conservation initiatives. Um, Chicagoland area, you've got Shed Aquarium, you've got Lincoln Park Zoo, you've got Brookfield Zoo. There's so many places um, that money goes right back into those care and they're doing amazing work. I think I'm on my soapbox every single time about how important zoos are to conservation um, and I will never step off of that soapbox. Um, so I think that's one of my favorite ways that I'm a green consumer is that I, I put my money into those places. I donate, I, I buy into all of their, their extras and all of that stuff. Just even buying food there again, just going right back into, right back into the zoo. So, um, it's what it is. One of my favorite, favorite ways to, to support. I love the way you worded that. Like, it's not just the things that you can buy, but it's the organizations that you can support, right? You know, the way that we spend our money is really, really important, especially here in capitalist countries, especially here in the United States, um, where money is, you know, really, really relevant to how organizations can survive. And it is our job as nature lovers to spend our money in places that are gonna help the environment because that's what we really care about i remember the first time the idea of green consumerism was brought up and it was in a workshop done by this wonderful lady named deb Kutska, and she talked about it and I, I, I it was a workshop that i did in high school and i didn't understand back then as much as i do now because in high school i didn't have any money i was like mom, can I have $20 to go to Starbucks or whatever? But now as an adult, like all of her words stuck with me and I see how important it is. And it's something that I appreciate so much more now as an adult that someone introduced it to me back then. And I, I think I just understand it so much better now. Um, it's also, so we t we've been talking all about how we've been, how we spend our money, right? And how in, in, in the organizations that we that we support, I think it's also, uh, there's another key component to it in, in the exact opposite in, in what we don't support and not giving our money to. So I, I know there's certain organizations, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just blast different organizations on podcasts. Um, but there are places I refuse to eat, I refuse to shop for, and it could, and, and it could be for different reasons, you know, um, but that is just as important 
I think, where our money doesn't go to. Because if you're saying that I refuse to support this company because they don't, they're not eco-friendly or they're not this, I think that's just as important as supporting those companies that are eco-friendly or are doing the things that you support. I don't know if that makes sense. That that absolutely makes sense, Brittany. And I really appreciate you kind of clarifying that, right? Because it's not just where we put our money. It's specifically where we don't put our money. That's equally as important. So thanks for sharing that. And thanks for this fun episode. I feel like we did a lot of stuff that we haven't done in a while. So I really appreciate you bringing this one up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for just like, you know, coming up with cool stuff. You know, I think it's it is important. It's an important topic. I think it's fun to be able to kind of talk about some of our favorite things because it's stuff that maybe I didn't know about and I can now implement or whatever. It's, it's all about educating, right? It's, it's one of You our know what some of my favorite things are? What? Uh, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. What you mean movie? It's an Ariana Grande song. Yes, I know. That was my impression of the adults in Charlie Brown. So before we wrap all of this up, I would just like to just throw this out there. We are not sponsored by anybody that we have talked about or any products that we have talked about on the podcast today. We generally just really like supporting these products and these these businesses um, because it's something that we do every single day. Um, however, if you'd like to <laughs> sponsor us, hit us up at the Pretty Bridge Podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, you can. Our, our emails are open. But yeah, so we're just we're just enjoying the, these are the things that we enjoy. These are the ways that we are green consumers. Um, and we just felt like we should share that with you. Um, I think it's uh, an, it's important to just as a community to share the things that you guys like to support and why. Um, it's just a it's a good topic to bring to your friends. And so while uh, sponsors can reach us at the Brady Bunch Podcast at gmail.com, um, everybody else can find us on social media um, collectively at the Brady Bunch Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, and individually, uh, we're all also found on Instagram. I'm found, I can be found at the Brittany underscore bunch, T H E. B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B-U-N-C-H. I've been really inconsistent but at posting, but we've got I've got new bird feeders, y'all, and y'all about to get some bird content. Where can everybody find you guys? You can find me at Matt Valiga. That's M-A-T-T-V's and Victor A-L-I-G-A. Hopefully now that I'm back at school, there will be some cool stuff to report, and I'll probably communicate it with that. But yeah, I'm just an inconsistent uh, poster. I don't admittedly engage much with my personal at this point. On the contrary to both of y'all, I would say I'm pretty consistent on Instagram. I'm on there pretty much daily. So shoot me a message and you can find me at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. Also, one thing that I think that we're going to be doing a little bit more is interacting as ourselves on our collective social media. So if you might have saw last week, I did a little takeover. I think we might do a couple other takeovers soon. Um, but I really enjoyed doing that. It was actually the day of recording that we did that. So 
I hope that everyone enjoyed that day. And uh, I'm excited for you guys to do a little uh, Instagram takeover too. Yeah, things to look forward to. <laughs> um, but also there's, um, so you can find us all there on those Instagrams. Um, but there's other ways that you can, we talked all this whole episode about supporting organizations and people and products that you guys really like. So if you all really like us and want to support us, you can become a Patreon. Um, we have um, one Patreon right now. Thank you, Gabe Andrele, for your continued support. We love and appreciate you. Um, if you'd like a shout out on the podcast, just like that, you can become our Patreon. There's different tiers and levels of our Patreon. You can even get a clip of us recording and you can see all of the craziness that goes on behind the scenes because y'all is a lot. Um, but um, but if not, that's okay. Um, you can head over to our website at the birdiebunchpodcast.com and um, we have uh, lots of cool merch and things like that. Rep us. Um, if you can't support us financially, that's totally cool and valid the best way to be able to support us is literally telling everybody you know to come and give a listen it really is the best way to help support us because the more listeners we've got the the more we can put out content for you guys and which brings me to the next little bit if you leave us a five-star review we will read that five-star review out here on the podcast, um, we really value everybody's feedback and we just want to make the best podcast we can for our listeners. So um, whether it's all positive or you think there's something we could do better, we want to hear it all because we want to be able to create the best content for y'all. And so I think that kind of wraps everything up for this episode. Um, I hope you guys all have a great week. And we'll catch you next time. Or two weeks. Or two weeks. Wow. Wow. Can you believe it? We're bi-weekly now. Catch you next time. Crazy. <laughs> thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.